Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. You know, he was praying a little bit about revival. Um, we want revival. We want to see revival, don't we? Man, we love when people start preaching about revival, praying about revival. We love hearing about revival. But, like, did you know that we are not going to experience revival unless we're willing to step in and get our hands dirty? Now, I hear the amens. I feel the excitement. I see your smiles. Do you know what, what that would cost you? You know what that would cost us? To really get our hands dirty, to really join Jesus in his mission to saturate the heartland with the gospel. You know, you know how, how difficult that would be and how uncomfortable and how, how much other Christians would judge us? Do you want to see revival? Do you want to see the heartland be saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to get your hands dirty along the way? I know we are. I know we're ready to use this facility, everything God's given us, anything short of sin to reach people with the gospel, however we got to do it. And it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to be disorienting, and we're going to get judged for it, and people, even Christians, aren't going to understand why in the world we would hang out with people like that, why in the world we let people like that come worship with us on Sundays. That's what I'm saying, Billy, man, let's do it. That's what I'm talking about. That's why we exist. This is why, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is why when you confess Jesus as Lord, that he didn't just pluck you out and take you to heaven. This is why he left us here. It is not unlike God to send legions of angels to declare the good news of Jesus. He's done it before. He could do it again. Hey, that'd make a great song, by the way. I should probably write that. But for whatever reason, his master's strategy wasn't to do that. It was to use his saints, his people that worship him and follow him and use them in their everyday ordinary lives and both relationships that they have as well as relationships that he wants to cultivate, some of which are going to be very uncomfortable for the sake of taking the gospel to places it would never otherwise go. But do we really want to get our hands dirty? Like, do we really want to step out of our ivory towers and immerse ourselves into the life and into the world of the people in our community that, quite honestly, you might not otherwise associate with? Do you seriously want revival? We can pray about it, we can preach about it, and we can even have revivals where we preach about revival and get all of our amens and nothing happen if the people of God don't want to get their hands dirty. He's called us into this very messy mission, and Jesus modeled for us just how messy it is. And Jesus didn't die on the cross so that people who are already Christ followers could get in their holy huddles on every street corner competing against each other. Jesus died on the cross so that a lost world could have hope. So that everybody in the world might hear the good news of a Savior who came to die for our sins and make us right with God. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again to new life. He's conquered death and everything that goes with it. All the dead things of life he's conquered. 
and the world needs to know, the whole world needs to know. And he's commissioned us to take it to the world. He's invited us. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a bad idea. Because we get in the way and we come up with every excuse why we shouldn't and why we won't. But yet Jesus continues to remain faithful to his original master strategy to indwell his people with his Holy Spirit and to take the message throughout the world to every mailbox, to every driveway, to every gas station, to every workplace, to every ball field, everywhere you are. He wants to display the message of Jesus through us. But we've got a lot of prejudices. I wish I could say it was just those other churches. I wish I could say it was not y'all but the other services. No, Grace Bible and its people have lots of prejudices. That Jesus is going to have to step in and break down. If we really want to be a part of a gospel movement that leads to revival, he is going to have to change something in us first. And I can tell you he's committed to doing it. He's been having to do this to his people since the beginning. And what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 9, 10, and the beginning of 11, how Jesus really had to start with Peter. The one who he told, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, Peter. I'm going to name, I'm going to change your name from Simon, which means pebble, to Peter, which means rock. And I'm going to build my church upon this rock, and the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. And he used Peter to preach the gospel where the first 3,000 people ever confessed Jesus as Lord. And he continues to use Peter to preach. But there are some deeply rooted prejudices and legalisms in Peter's heart that he doesn't even realize that he has yet. And he's about to be exposed today. And I wonder if God has something to say to us along those same lines. I hope that he who has ears will hear the voice of the Lord today and that God will break down the things in our hearts that don't look like Jesus so that we truly can be a hands-dirty, committed, missional people that are willing to do whatever it takes to let the world around us know that Jesus is king and he's worthy of our worship. And so we start here. In Acts chapter 10, let me give you a little background of what's going on here and kind of where this, this issue of prejudice was coming from. Now, this is going to be a little bit confusing, not because you're not smart enough to understand it, but because I'm not smart enough to explain it well. So lean in, see if you can make sense of what I'm about to tell you. Um, here's where some of the issue of prejudices were happening most often in the New Testament church of Jesus Christ followers. Um, Keep in mind, like, the first time the gospel was preached was at Pentecost, 2,000 people got saved, or 3,000 people got saved. But, but guess who was at Pentecost? It was a bunch of Jewish people who had heard the gospel of Jesus, and they had determined, wow, Jesus really is the promised Messiah of God, and so we're going to follow him with our lives. The next 5,000 people that got saved at Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch, they were gathered in the temple when they heard the gospel. Guess who those people were? Also Jewish people who had gathered together going through their regular religious rigmarole. They heard the gospel and they decided, oh, Jesus must be the one that the prophets had proclaimed. And so for the Jews at this time, like we're reading through the book of Acts, if we really like zero out away from the trees, I know we've been looking at every week different miracles happening and God doing extraordinary things in big and small ways. But like when we zoom back to look at the book of Acts, one of the big meta narratives of the book of Acts is this issue of prejudice that God is having to break down in the hearts of his people because the Jewish people up until this point, it was all well and good. 
They were, there was by the thousands people deciding to follow Jesus as the, the chosen, sent Messiah of God. But for a Jew, keep in mind, like their whole life, they had been reading of and hearing about the prophecies that one day God would send a Messiah. So when Jesus showed up, and when they decided to follow Jesus with their lives, they didn't consider themselves as like converted Christians. They recognized that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the one promised by Hebrew prophets for generations. And so for them, the choice to follow Jesus was just the next step in Judaism. It wasn't like, it wasn't that God was doing something brand new. It was just God was up to something new within the faith that they had already been living. God had fulfilled his promise. And this was all well and good until they started hearing about Gentile people who are non-Jewish. That would be most of us, everybody else. Now Gentile people are coming to faith in Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, performing signs and wonders, declaring Jesus as king. They are literally converting from paganism to following Jesus. And yeah, the Gentiles, for them, it was simple as this, like we're gonna leave our pagan gods and we're gonna come worship and follow Jesus. They considered themselves converts. But converts to what? Well, I tell you what bothered the Jews is the fact that these Gentiles believed that they could just follow Jesus without becoming Jewish first. And they started asking the question, like, how can you be a follower of the Jewish Messiah if you're not going to become a Jew and follow the ways and the customs of the Jews too? And this angered a lot of the Jews that were now Christians. They had a big problem with the fact that the Holy Ghost was capturing the hearts of people all over the world that were not Jewish, and they weren't jumping on board with this Jewish Christianity. They were just walking and following Jesus I tell you, one of the first people that God was going to have to do a work in his heart was one of the main leaders of those Jewish Christians, and his name was Peter. Now, just a couple weeks ago, we were looking at how the apostle Paul came from Saul. He was a Christian killer before he became a disciple maker, and so Saul, he had been... Um, he had been on his way to kill some more Christians and had a conversion experience with Jesus, and now he's preaching the gospel everywhere that he goes. Now, the curtain kind of closes on that part of the book of Acts for a time, and it reopens now in the life of Peter. And if you read towards the end of chapter 9, Peter's traveling from city to city preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. People are being healed. And now this lady has just been raised from the dead. Her name was Dorcas. Funny name. Um, got raised from the dead. And now all these people are getting saved. This is what happens in verse 42. It says, and it became known throughout all of Joppa. This is where this lady got raised from the dead. And many believed in the Lord. Stop right there. I want to remind you, like, do you believe that Jesus still does miracles and moves mountains? Okay, do you believe that, for real, this very day, like no science necessary, no help from anybody else. Jesus can step into anybody's story and perform an incredible miracle that is totally unexplainable. It must have just been God. You believe he can still do that? Yeah, I do too. Well, here's the point. Like we're going to see a lot of miracles throughout the book of Acts. Keep in mind, like Jesus never does any miracles just for the sake of the miracle itself. Every miracle that he has ever done and will ever do has one central purpose, testifying to the trueness, to the rightness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So sometimes we see Jesus show up in a crowd and he, and he heals everybody. 
Sometimes we see Jesus show up in a crowd and he heals one person, then he hops on a boat and goes to the other side of the lake. Because the miracle was never the point. Just to show him that he could heal was never the point. And those people getting healed wasn't the point. The point was when people would experience miraculous things that they would turn their hearts towards Jesus as king. And quite honestly, that's still true too. Every time God steps into your story and you've been praying about a thing and God steps into the story, it's not the time to celebrate, finally, they got me on the right medication. It's not the time to celebrate, finally, so-and-so answered their phone and helped me fix the problem. Like, you've been praying for it. You've been asking God to step in. And then we celebrate and worship another God after he stepped in in a miracle. He still does the miracle, so we need to worship him because he only does it so that we turn our hearts towards Jesus. And that's what happened. Tons of people were coming to know the Lord. All throughout Joppa, many believed in verse 43. And then Peter, this is when it gets interesting. He stayed in Joppa for many days with one guy. His name was Simon. And he was, what did he do professionally? You need to underline that in your Bible. He was a tanner. Um, You know what a tanner is? They take the carcasses of dead animals and they make leather. He's a leather worker. Well, a lifelong Hebrew boy doesn't hang around with guys that deal in dead animals. Because according to the law of God, that man would have been unclean and anybody that hung out with him would have been unclean. And so Peter's staying at the house of a tanner, like this is totally disorienting, very peculiar, and for whatever reason, this is what the Lord had established for him. Let me tell you something about Simon the tanner. Like, even if he wanted to follow God, he would have had to give up his business to follow God because he was considered by the synagogue. He was rejected from the synagogue, considered unclean. He was not allowed to participate in the things of God. And now Peter, who is on mission to point people towards Jesus, who's coming from a very Jewish, very Hebrew culture that believes that Simon the Tanner is unclean and everything he does is unclean, is now staying the night at the Tanner's house. This is getting strange already, which leads me to the question, like, I wonder how many of us even right now have found ourselves in a peculiar situation or even a peculiar relationship, and we haven't realized yet that God put us into that situation because he is about to do something huge in us and to us and through us. But he's got to start breaking down some walls in our heart, and so he put us in this very uncomfortable situation that we would have never asked for, that we feel totally uncomfortable doing. We're worried about what people are going to think, but we know it's God because just the way that it worked out, like he is us in a very peculiar situation because he is preparing us for something he's about to do. I wonder who's in that boat this morning. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute. I want you to be thinking about that question in your life as we're going through this discussion um, throughout chapter 10 and the beginning of 11. So, Curtain closes there, reopens over in Caesarea at a guy named Cornelius' house, and this is what happened. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Say Cornelius. He was a centurion. Say centurion. So he was a high-ranking Roman military man who was known as the Italian cohort. He was in charge of that or something, but like this sounds like an elite group of guys. But listen to this. He's a devout man who feared God. With all of his household, gave alms generously to people. So he's very generous in serving the poor. And he prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour that day, which is like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon who is a 
Leif, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him, he had departed, and he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. This is a double peculiar situation because even a Gentile guy who is now a follower of, of God, who is a devout Jewish man, now he's talking about inviting a guy into his home that's been staying with a guy that deals with dead animals. This isn't going the right direction. This is a very peculiar situation. Here's the things you need to know about Cornelius. Cornelius was a lifelong Gentile, Roman, commander, centurion, half-Jew guy. The reason why a Hebrew writer like Luke says of Cornelius, well, he's a man that feared God. He prayed regularly. He gave often. That was kind of to let his Hebrew friends or any Hebrew people reading this know, like, but Cornelius, he's all right, though. I mean, I know he's like, you know, Roman and Gentile and, and, a, and a Roman military guy, and we all hate them. And, um, but this guy's all right, though. That's what we need to know about Cornelius. And then the curtain closed at Cornelius' house, and it reopens back in Joppa when we pick up with Peter. And it says, on the next day, as they were on their journey and approached the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour, which is like high noon, the sun's high in the sky, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. I bet he did, sitting up there in the dead heat of the day with the sun beating down on his head. Like praying on the roof wasn't unusual for them, but something I definitely don't advise you to do nowadays, okay? But as he's praying, he gets hungry, and while he's preparing it, he falls into a trance. So he's like, he's praying, and then he gets into like this deep spiritual engagement with God, and he begins to see the heavens open and something like a great sheet. Now, he has this vision. Um, and see if you can figure out what in the heck this vision is and what it means. He saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no way. Lord, I would, I would never eat anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. And now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what it means, what the vision that he had seen might mean. Um, I'm perplexed too. Like, I mean, what, what was it? He had this vision from God to let him know, hey, Peter, eat more beef. Like, it's okay as a Hebrew boy to get a pork sandwich for lunch today. It was like, this the big catalyst moment in Peter's life where God was to say, hey, in Christ, there's some freedoms that you can eat some other stuff. And so go into it. Surely God wouldn't waste a vision on something like that. This is the peculiar situation. All this stuff's weird. And some of y'all are thinking, man, this whole sermon is weird. Like, are you going to get to a point at any point today? And the answer is, yeah, eventually, but hang on for a second. I told you it's going to be a little bit confusing, but you just got to lean into what we're talking about. And about that time, as Peter's sitting there scratching his head, thinking, what in the world is going on? You'll go on to read this afternoon for your homework that the Holy Spirit begins to minister to Peter and lets him know, hey, um, there's a few guys that are coming from Caesarea, and they're going to be coming to take you back 
to meet with this Roman, Gentile, centurion, newly Jewish, God-fearing guy. And you need to go with him. And just so y'all know, like, this moment for Peter, this was, this was a Jonah moment for him. Like, this call of God for him to not only stay at a tanner's house, but now go over to a Roman centurion, Jewish, used to be Gentile, his house next. Like, this is a Jonah moment for Peter. Where he's hearing the voice of God tell him to go to share the gospel, quite honestly, with somebody that he would have never associated with. They were natural enemies. And there's a lot at risk by him going to this guy's house. Um, for starters, his life. It's not like Peter and the apostles have had the best luck with the Jewish leaders or with the Roman leaders. Not to mention whatever little bit of reputation Peter still has intact, like, Good lifelong Hebrew boys like him don't go hanging out with Roman centurions. And let's just say Peter goes to this guy's house and he preaches the gospel to him, shares with him about the work of Jesus and the life of Jesus and Jesus' death and forgiveness and resurrection. Like, what if he just pours out his heart, preaches the best sermon that he's ever preached in his life, and Cornelius the centurion's response as a Jewish man is, that's blasphemy. Like, he's a high-ranking Roman official and a Jewish guy. It would be nothing for him to just throw Peter back on death row. This is a Jonah moment for Peter. To step into the life of a natural-born enemy. And quite honestly, somebody that very well could end his ministry and his life and his reputation. And yet... He follows the call of God. Anyway, I wonder, for those that are in a peculiar situation or those who have been feeling the burden of sharing the gospel with somebody that, quite honestly, is on the complete other side of the tracks of you, I wonder if God is orchestrating this for his glory and for your good. Let's see what's happening in the life of Peter. It says that on the following day, so they start headed that way, they enter Caesarea, uh, Cornelius was expecting them. Um, he had heard from an angel that he's supposed to hear something from God, so he's expecting them. Check this out. He calls together his relatives and his close friends. and um, Just look how like Cornelius is preparing to hear from God. Isn't that something? Like He knows he's supposed to hear something from God, so he wants the people that he loves the most to hear it as well. And he starts to prepare himself and prepare them for the fact that we're about to hear from God. We probably don't do a very good job about that in our culture. If you're anything like me, we just kind of show up to church and we say, all right, God, what do you got for me today? But I wonder if we can learn something for Cornelius to say, all right, God, I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to prepare the people I love because we want to hear from you. And so that's what he does. And then when Peter enters, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many other people gathered in the house. So now Peter's got a captive audience. He's in a place he would have never went otherwise. And now he has an opportunity to share the gospel. The reason why he came, there's a whole bunch of people there to listen. And here's the first point to Peter's sermon. This guy's brilliant. Now you guys yourself, verse 28, know how unlawful it is for a Jew like me to associate or visit anyone of another nation. Hey, great opening statement there, Peter. I'm sure that really won their hearts over. 
This guy's a genius. Not to mention, he just says it's the law of God that me as a lifelong Jew, um, it's the law of God that I not associate with people that are not Jews, which is not the law of God. That was Peter's legalism being exposed right here. Did you know that it's always been the law of God that the people of God live on mission to reach the world? Even back before Jesus came, like, yeah, there were certain warnings and principles of how they needed to conduct their relationships with outsiders, and the same is true today. But like, it's always been God's strategy for his people to invite other people into the family of God. This is one reason why God's plan to display himself to the world, even in the ancient Hebrews, was through feasts and festivals. Who doesn't want to be a part of something like that? And God's plan was the world's going to see these Hebrew, these Jewish people having feasts and festivals. They're going to want to be a part of it, and so they're going to join our family. All the warnings to the Jewish people was not about not joining their pagan religions, but they were always meant to be missional and reach those people. But instead, the ancient Hebrews and the Jewish people, they built walls around their city so outsiders couldn't get in. I wish I could say that was just a problem with God-fearing people back then, but it's the same problem in the 21st century church today. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Do you want to get your hands dirty? And so here Peter is saying to these people, it's the law of God that I'm not supposed to associate with people like you. When really I wasn't the law at all. That was Peter's legalistic heart. And he says, but God's doing something to me. Something weird's happened, and I keep finding myself in these peculiar scenarios, and God is showing me that I should not call any person common or unclean. You hearing that? I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection, and I asked why you sent for me. And Cornelius tells him the story of what the angel said to him and why he sent to go get Peter. And then this is the big revelation. Like, this is the whole point of everything we're talking about this morning. Verse 34, after Peter hears this, Peter opens his mouth and he said, truly now, truly I understand. Listen, Grace Bible, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Or maybe your Bible says favoritism or prejudice. You get the point? God shows no partiality, favoritism, or prejudice. Now, this is going to be new news to some of us, I already know. Got to put your big boy pants on to hear this. God shows no partiality, no favoritism, no prejudice. His master plan has been to get the message to everybody so that anybody who would believe would hear it. And he wanted to get the good news to Cornelius, a Gentile, Roman, now Jewish, but centurion guy. And he would have been so easy, so much easier, and it wouldn't have been as messy if God would have just sent the angel instead of telling Cornelius to go get Peter, if God would just had the angel tell the story of the gospel. He could have done that, it would have been a lot cleaner, no mess. No confusion. And angels know the story pretty well. They were there for the whole thing. But yet for whatever reason, he sends Peter instead to tell the story of Jesus and the work that had been done because I'm convinced that not only 
Did God have the master strategy of having a Holy Spirit conversion in Cornelius and his family's life? He didn't just want to see transformation in the life of this centurion man who was a Jewish guy, but God sent Peter so that there would be transformation in his life as well. Peter, as we saw, had some deeply rooted prejudices in his heart, and he needed to see with his own eyes, man, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the message of Jesus, can rescue anybody at any time. Which leaves me with a couple of questions for us. I'm wondering, who has God been dealing with your heart about? Sharing the good news, but maybe your fears or your prejudices are getting in the way. Who has God been dealing with your heart about? Sharing the good news, but maybe your fears or prejudices are getting period, in period, the period, way, question mark. I wonder, is it possible... Is it possible that as God is preparing your heart to share, he is also preparing their heart to receive? Is it possible that you haven't been left alone in this, that he hasn't called you to something that he isn't going to meet you in? Is it possible that we are being reminded yet again that the Spirit of God isn't going to call us to go to a place and do a thing that he isn't already planning on meeting us there and beating us there? You see how God had already started to stir in Cornelius' heart and started to already do something in him to prepare him to hear a word from God. Like the Holy Spirit beat Peter there. And Cornelius had no idea what the message was going to be. But, but God began to prepare him for what was coming. And when they did hear the message of the gospel, and Peter goes on to preach the message of the gospel to them. And this is what happens. While Peter was still saying all of these things, while he was still in the middle of the sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. I bet that was something. And the believers from among the circumcised, so there were some other Jewish boys that had become Christians that were traveling with Peter. The believers who were among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because, like, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles? you got to be kidding me. I thought they had to be Jewish first. That's what all my friends have been telling me. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues, exalting and worshiping God. And then Peter declared, can anyone... Withhold water from baptizing these people who have now received the Holy Spirit just as we have, just like us Jewish boys. These Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. A beautiful example of what God can do anywhere, anytime, with anybody. He prepared their heart before he even showed up. Who would have thought that they would ever heard and receive the gospel? And this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is awesome. So God is dealing with the prejudices in Peter's heart. And now God sends Peter back to Jerusalem to use him to deal with the prejudices in his other buddies' hearts. And that's when we get to chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, the listen to this, the apostles and the brothers. So the apostles and the brand new disciples of Jesus. We're talking about some of the original 12 here and all these new disciples of Jesus who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And so they threw a party and when they celebrated and they like 
through this big welcoming party when Peter and his boys came back to celebrate what Jesus was doing, even in Gentiles? No. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem to see his Jewish Christian buddies, they, what's that phrase there? Criticized him. And this is what they said. You went to an uncircumcised guy and ate with them? I'm like, is that all you got out of this? I just told you all these people got saved and the Holy Spirit came on them and they started speaking in tongues and it was just an unbelievable thing and God gave me this vision and an angel showed up and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and all you heard was, I ate dinner with a Gentile Roman guy. Man. Us religious folk can be pretty messed up, can't we? God was going to have to do a great work to break down the prejudices in the heart of even the apostles. Because they were there. They were part of the criticizing party. And I think that there's a message in here, not just for them. I think that there's a message in here right for us, right here in the 21st century of the U.S. of good old A. Let me see if I can figure out what it is. Um, Oh, yeah. God does not show favoritism. The same thing he told Peter is the same thing that's true of us. But I wonder how many of our prejudices and fears stand in the way of us actually getting our hands dirty and being a part of real gospel revival. Because we do live in a wicked and fallen world. Read Romans chapter 1. The world that they lived in sounds just like ours. None of this stuff is new. All this chaos and confusion and hate and war, none of this stuff is new. These apostles were doing gospel ministry in the same kind of environment, but the difference was they could get killed for preaching about Jesus. Well, we gather together in our comfortable air-conditioned tin cans out here in the middle of the woods, and we preach Jesus, and we go on back about our lifestyles and blame the world for their wickedness as if we aren't the ones that have the antidote, as if we aren't the ones that possess the healing power through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we don't want to get our hands dirty. We like our ivory towers, and we definitely don't want sinful people in our churches. We definitely don't want them in our small groups or around the table. Filthy people. We're going to build walls around our church cities, and you can't get in here unless you walk, talk, and act like us, man. God does not show Partiality, favoritism, or prejudice. We're going to be a church that gets our hands dirty. In here, out there, anywhere, everywhere. That's what he's called us to. All of his peoples. So Dustin, are you telling me, like we're going to let some of that filth come into our church? The sanctuary of God? Yeah, but certainly there's got to be, like, limits to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, are we really going to, like, let people of that other wicked political party have church with us? (laughs) Yeah, Trump trainers and riding with Bideners and whoever, whatever the heck else you are, you're welcome here. And if y'all don't, if y'all start sitting opposite sides of the room, I'm going to make y'all mix it up. 
you mean to tell me, Dustin, are you telling me, like, we're going to be a church that, like, embraces people of, like, different nationalities and different skin colors and different, like, ethnicities? And, like, are we going to be a church like that? Like, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And they are in ours, too. Everybody. Yeah, but Dustin, like, what about, like, come on, like, what about Muslims, man? What about, like, jihad and, like, we're going we gonna to let, we're going to, like, invite people like that to gather with us? Yeah, and Buddhists and pagans and atheists and agnostics and Wiccans and anybody else we can find that would be willing to come worship with us. Yeah, we want them here, too. Yeah, but Dustin, but like, man, there's so much tension right now in the world, like around sexuality and stuff. So like, what, are we, what about like LBGTQ++? Like, <laughs> yep to the yep, yep, yep. <laughs> what better place? What better place for anybody in the world to be than around the children of God talking about the things of Jesus. What better place? So yeah, we're gonna welcome imperfect people to encounter a perfect God, whatever way, shape, or form they show up. But by the way, this isn't just a call for this institutional church building gathering. This is a call that our Homes and our dinner tables would look like that too. I thought I heard somebody earlier say something about being willing to get their hands dirty. Now I wonder who's in that camp now. Because the call of the people of God is not just to invite them to your Sunday morning worship services, but to invite them in your house for a meal. Because I seem to recall a really wise guy once saying, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another, which tells me they'll only see the love that we have for one another if they get invited to the things that we do together. Get the point? I seem to recall that same guy named Jesus saying something about, I came to this world to seek and to save the lost. Because see, Jesus knows something that, quite honestly, our prejudices have discolored and tainted so much. And it's this simple truth that the gospel of Jesus is the only thing that can inform and transform everything that it touches. And so he designed this thing called church, and he died on the cross so that we could have an ecclesia, a church, a movement for the sake of the gospel. And we've turned it into a museum for the saints instead of a hospital for the sick. And it was never meant to be that. And we ain't going to be a part of that nonsense. Because we want to join Jesus in the really difficult, really complicated, really dirty mission of taking the gospel to the places in the world that nobody else may be willing to take it. And that, for you, quite honestly, might just simply be right across the street. But he hasn't left us alone to try to figure out how to do it on our own. He's given us his Holy Spirit to do the work in us, through us, and as us.
for whosoever would be willing to surrender to that and to allow him to use your life and your home and your relationships for the sake of the glory of God. And not only did he give us the gift of his Holy Spirit to be within us, like he's given us his word to model for us what it looks like. Jesus ate his way through the whole New Testament. We don't see Jesus inviting lost people to come hang out at the synagogue. He just started preaching on a hillside and he served dinner. Or he'd show up to their house and he'd have dinner with them. People that were hated. Jesus ate his way through the New Testament. From table to table, from meal to meal, from message to message. And he spent time with the religious elite all the way to the most wicked people in their society so that they could hear and see the gospel from the king of all kings. And he has put that in us. Are you willing to get your hands dirty? That's the kind of revival we're called to as a church and as a people. Let's pray. Father, help us. I admit even in my own life, like, there are some hesitations. I have my own prejudices that I have to lay down. My own sinful, wicked legalism that has crept into my heart through the years, through my life experience, through the way I've been treated, through the list goes on. And I'll be honest, God, like, I'm willing to share with most, but there's some that I just, I have a hard time because I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you to do what you've done in Peter to me and to these people as well. Because I know that this gospel message was meant for the whole world to hear so that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Use your people as you see fit. And if it is your desire to spark revival somewhere in the world, Lord, would you start it with us? In Jesus' name.